What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow us on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, on Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. And with that being said, let's get to the content. What's up, divers? Welcome to Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're going to be talking about my tight ends, tight ends 1 through 12, my reasoning behind them, and my tier breaks. But before we do so, there's a couple things I want to touch on. First, I got to promote my boys, Drew and Zach, putting in hard work. We got two new articles up on the website. One of them, Drew wrote this one, is a dynasty quarterback, buy, sell, and hold. Three guys that you should be buying, three guys you should be selling, three guys you should be holding. It's a great article. It's about a three, four-minute read. Definitely worth your time. Go check that out if you haven't already. And then we have a Players to Avoid article written by Zach. And, you know, we got one person in each round from round one to, I believe, round eight. And once again, it's like a three, four-minute read. And it basically just steers you to, you know, a guy to avoid, basically, And there's actually one big disagreement in there um, because obviously I'm putting the articles on my site and everything. So if there's a huge disagreement between me and my writers, then I'll throw in my two cents as well. So there's one person that we disagree on. I don't think they're a player to avoid. I actually target them in that round. So that's pretty interesting. If you want to go ahead and go in there and read that article and also let us know, you know, whose side on that player. I don't want to give the player's name away because I want you guys to go, you know, see for yourself. But you know, let us know, are you on my side or are you on Zach's side for that player? But it's a great article as well. And aside from the articles, there's some interesting news that I want to talk about. It's kind of fantasy football related, but more just general football. But I know we're all football fans. So I figured I would talk about this too, because I found it very interesting. The Texans are hoping that they can, you know, sign Watson to a long-term deal before the season starts. Deshaun Watson is in the same class as Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes just got re-signed to a long-term extension, as we all know you know, crazy over $500 million, insane 10-year contract. So Watson, he just finished his third year. He's going into his fourth year. He's going to have his fifth-year option. So obviously, he's a great quarterback. The Texans are going to pick up his fifth-year option. But in two years from now, I think that Deshaun Watson, it's very possible he's not going to be a Texan. Maybe they franchise him. Maybe it takes an extra year. But He is, you know, a great quarterback who has not been helped out as much as he should have been. I know that recently, you know, they traded for Laramie Tunzel. They drafted an O-lineman. They spent a first rounder a while back on Will Fuller and whatnot. But honestly, I don't think that they have helped Deshaun Watson nearly as much as they should have been. They only just now recently were investing in the offensive lineman. And, you know, before that, other than Will Fuller, they weren't really doing much to help Deshaun Watson. He was just scrambling, expected to basically do everything by himself. It just It was him and Hopkins, pretty much, because Fuller's always out and hurt. Then they just traded away DeAndre Hopkins. They also lost Jadeveon Clowney. They also lost A.J. Boye. Like, they're losing great stars all the time, and it's it, their management is just a joke. Their front office is a joke. You have Bill O'Brien, your head coach, who's also your general manager. Show me another team that does that. And you might point, okay, what about the Patriots? Okay, Bill Belichick is probably the greatest football coach of all time. Like, we're not going to go ahead and compare anybody to Bill Bill Belichick now, okay? Even though he holds most of the GM duties for the New England Patriots and is also the head coach. So outside of that, I mean, 
show me somebody that has a role like that. You're not going to find anybody. And if you do, I'm sure that they were not successful. But as you know, of my knowledge, there's nobody else other than Belichick that you can even say is in that realm of what Bill O'Brien's doing right now. If I was Watson or if I was Watson's agent, I would be telling him to get out. And here's the kicker. These are the teams in two years when Watson's fifth year option would be finished that have quarterbacks that are vets right now that are going to be done. Pittsburgh, Ben Roethlisberger's um, contract in 2022 will be done. That's an interesting landing spot. Drew Brees will be done in New Orleans. And Tom Brady will be done in Tampa Bay. And next year, Phillip Rivers will be done in Indy. But if he does okay, maybe they sign him to another one-year deal to try and run it back. Um, and hope that he could just be better in his second year with all these players with some established chemistry. And so then you have Indy in the situation too. So the three teams that really stick out to me are New Orleans, Tampa Bay, and Indy. Because if he went to any of those teams, oh my goodness, that would be amazing. And I'm, I'm not really trying to focus on fantasy right now. I'm just talking for NFL purposes. Like, imagine Brady finishes his two-year stint in Tampa, and then the Bucks go from Brady, and as a Bucks fan, like, I'm, I'm hoping this happens. This would be amazing. They go from Brady to Watson. They just sign Watson, and now they have a franchise quarterback, and he's locked and loaded with weapons. And I'm assuming our offensive line is on an upward tra- trajectory right now, and I would say it's better than the Texans' offensive line. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to invest more picks in the near future into the offensive line, especially if we have good success this year with Tom Brady. And, you know, maybe we were just like one piece away and they just want to solidify that O-line to the utmost potential. Then, you know, we might be taking someone next year. Then you go to New Orleans. Maybe they try Jameis Winston out for a year. Maybe not. But if Watson goes to a team like that, they have a great O-line. They have Michael Thomas. They have Alvin Kamara. And I'm sure, you know, they're not going to probably have Emmanuel Sanders. I doubt they're going to, you know, sign him again. But they have a great coach. They have always had a good offense. Granted, it's always been under Drew Brees, but that's another super interesting situation. And Indy is the sleeper. Indy's the sleeper because they got Jonathan Taylor just this year. They just got Michael Pittman this year. They have one of the youngest offensive lines in the league and one of the best offensive lines in the league. And they have some good young stars on defense. Like, they're a very young and upcoming team other than their quarterback position right now, it seems like. And they they still need some help at wide receiver, T-wise, you know, on his the back end of his career and whatnot. But if Deshaun Watson went to a place like that, that'd be super crazy. And it's just interesting to me because you have Dak right now, who has not re-signed with the Cowboys. And then you have Watson. You have two super good quarterbacks that might, like, you never see quarterbacks like this just switch teams. And I think it might happen for both. Who knows? So that was just something I found really interesting. I wanted to give, you know, a couple thoughts on that. And with that said, we can go ahead and get started in my top 12 tight ends. Obviously, I'm starting with either Travis Kelsey or Zach Ertz. Or I mean, (laughs) sorry, Travis Kelsey or George Kittle. I was looking at Zach Ertz's name. That's why I ended up saying Zach Ertz. Um, So my number one is Travis Kelsey. But honestly, Kelsey or Kittle, I couldn't care less. They balance out really well because what's the argument for Kelsey at number one? Well, he one plays with the best quarterback in the league. Two, he plays for the best offense in the league. Three, plays for the best offensive mind or arguably the best offensive mind in the league. Four, usually leads his team in in the target share. So Kittle does two with the target share, but the difference is that the Kansas City Chiefs offense passes a lot more than the 49ers offense. 
One, because their defense is not as elite as the Niners. Two, because they don't run as much as the Niners do. So even though Kelsey's target share is lower than Kittle's, he's pulling in more targets because obviously his team passes more. So Kelsey, for me, is a beast. He's well worth a second round pick. Honestly, his, you know, what he ends up returning, his return on investment every year is like worth a first rounder. He's always helping you because, you know, the positional advantage of a tight end that's elite. So Kelsey and Kittle versus other people's tight ends is such a good advantage. So I love Kelsey or Kittle in the second round. You really can't go wrong anywhere in the second round. And a lot of times you might get them in the beginning of the third. And if they drop to the third, that's amazing. So for Kelsey, I'm not going to go through all my specific projections for everyone, but just for Kelsey and Kittle so you can see how they're close to each other. Kelsey, I have him in targets over Kittle. I have Kelsey at 141 targets, 97 receptions, 1,231 yards, eight touchdowns. Then we have Kittle. So, you know, some of you guys might have Kittle as number one. And like I said, that's fine with me. He's the clear number one for me in Dynasty just because of youth. And, you know, he has already shown himself to be amazing. Like he was in the top 10 on the NFL's players list. And I know some people like to make fun of it because like the NFL players, you know, you'll say like some of them don't even care. They just like do whatever. They just write names in. But George Kittle, he he has mad respect around the league. He's the best tight end in football overall because you could, you might be able to argue Kelsey's a better receiver. Might. It's super close. But Kittle's by far the best blocking tight end in the NFL. And then he also has elite receiving skills. So he's definitely my number one for dynasty. But in redraft, I still take Kelsey just because of the offense and whatnot. But Kittle has no target competition, especially with Debo being hurt in the beginning. I don't know if this is going to hurt or help him. He's probably going to get a couple more targets, but maybe they're going to be tougher targets because, you know, he's like the main focus of the defense. He would be regardless, but Debo would at least help him a little bit in terms of being more efficient. So Kelsey or Kittle, you really can't go wrong. Kittle, I have at 129 targets, 95 receptions, 1,206 yards, eight touchdowns. So really between Kelsey and Kittle, I have, other than the targets, that's the biggest difference, a difference of 12. I have them within two receptions of each other, within 25 yards of each other, and I have them at the same touchdown count. So, And they both have the same type of ceiling and the same type of floor, so I love both of them. Then I have a tier break, obviously. Those are the elite two. Then I have Zach Ertz at three. Here's the thing. I was actually pretty low on Ertz when the season first started because he had a lot of target competition that he's never had to deal with. You had Alshon Jeffrey, who, you know, at the time, we're thinking he's going to be healthy and play the season. And obviously, I always project for 16 games. So I'm projecting Alshon to play with Ertz for 16 games. That's already unusual. Deshaun Jackson, who only played one game in Philly. Now Jalen Rager, an added first-round pick. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, otherwise known as J.Jaw, he would be healthy, fully healthy, and maybe he takes more targets. And you still have Dallas Goddard there. So, And you have Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. He had so many people in his way. And Zach Ertz is not one of those guys like a Kittle or Kelsey that's you know racking up huge yardage per reception and is a really good touchdown threat and can break you know, a reception for 40 yards down the field. Like, he's not that kind of guy. He's 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 better and more dynamic than Jason Witten, but he's just more on that side of tight ends where, you know, they're more of a possession tight end. And they're, they're just good at, you know, making the catch and getting that first down, moving the chains, but they don't do much after that. So I actually had him at five. And then once Alshon got put on Pup 
and there's some slight whispers that maybe Deshaun Jackson got cut, whatnot. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, that was also some talk. So I ended up bumping up Ertz because obviously once you put Alshon on the pup, there's a lot of targets to go somewhere. And I sent some of them to Ertz, obviously. Ertz is now once again my tight end three. I think he's going to be super safe and he's probably going to start the season super hot. Not only because Alshon is on the pup in the beginning of the season for the first six weeks minimum, but also because... Your other targets, Deshaun Jackson has only played one game with Carson Wentz. Jalen Rager has not played at all with Carson Wentz. Zach Ertz is going to be the basically the mainstay. He's going to be the only guy with established chemistry, him and Goddard, that are starting on the field with Carson Wentz in week one. And chemistry is going to be super important this year with COVID and, you know, just harder camp and everything. Like, there's a lot less that you're able to do. So... I think Zach Ertz is going to have a huge start, and if you have Ertz and he does have that huge start and we're getting close to Alshon getting back or whatnot, I would look to try and trade him because he's probably going to you know, see a decline as the season goes on. Then at tight end four, you guys know it, Tyler Higby. I'm a huge Tyler Higby guy. You could say I'm one of the leaders of the Higby train. Look, the man, he got an opportunity and he ran with it. He was way more efficient than Everett. He logged a near 10%, 10% better catch rate. And not only that, but he also averaged more yards per reception and was more deadly in the touchdown game. So you already have that working towards his favor. Then you also look at Cooper Cup, one of their best players. Really good receiver. They deploy him in the slot often. He's really good in the red zone, whatnot. Cooper Cup went from 11 targets a game before Higby's breakout to six. Also, the Rams offense got better. And Jared Goff started performing better once they switched to the 12 personnel and Tyler Higby was going off. And he was fantasy's tight end one over the five weeks. He was also on pace for 166 targets. So here's the thing now. I don't think he's going to get 166 targets. That's obviously insane. With Everett coming back, he's going to take some targets. Yes. Cooper Cup, he's probably going to be more involved than six targets a game. So once again, pull some more targets away from Higby. Yes. But then... Then you have to account for the fact that tight ends are probably going to get a higher usage rate this year because Brandon Cooks is gone, and I know they drafted Van Jefferson, and he's one of the more route-running guys, like, uh, sorry, NFL-ready route runners in the draft, but he's not going to just pick up the whole Brandon Cooks role. So that's, you know, targets that are open now, so shift some of those to Tyler Higby. So that kind of, it doesn't completely counteract by no means, am I saying it counteracts Everett and Cup getting used more, but... It's just a little bit of a difference, you know, a, a few more targets that can go back to Higby. And also, I know they had a super easy schedule and, you know, they played like four of the five teams that were in top five most points allowed to the tight end position, but he was still so much better than Everett. So why would he not? And they paid him. Everett is not going to be part of that team's future. Tyler Higby is because they paid him last year to a four or five year long contract. I don't remember the specifics of the contract, but they, you know, extended him. Obviously, he's part of their future. They believe in him. And I just really don't see why it's so hard for people to, to, to buy into Tyler Higby. I have him at 134 targets. Remember, he was on pace for 166. I don't see the Rams throwing less than they did last year. If anything, they might throw more than they did last year. And I have him at 97 receptions, 980 yards, six touchdowns. If he gets eight touchdowns and less targets and stuff, he'll still finish at about tight end four. So... While I do have, you know, some of you guys are going to think 134 targets is blasphemous. I have him kind of on the lower touchdown count because we just talked about 
Kelsey and Kittle at eight touchdowns. Ertz, I only had at six, but we know Ertz is not a big touchdown guy. And then the next guy we're going to get into at five, Mark Andrews. I have him at nine touchdowns. So Higby I have at one of the lowest touchdowns, and he's still super high for me in the tight end rankings. So if he, you know, sees the positive side of the touchdowns, it's going to help him out. So now we can move on to five. And I just told you it's Mark Andrews. He's the clear number one target for Lamar, but We have to realize that doesn't mean all that much in an offense that only throws the ball around 430, 435 times a year. He's pretty good on a points per target basis in terms of fantasy points. That's probably going to continue. He's a fair value at ADP, but honestly, because I have Higby ranked above him, I'm usually just taking Higby three or four rounds later than Mark Andrews is being drafted. But if you want to take Mark Andrews, you can. Also, he has diabetes, and apparently that's going to limit how much he's on the field. You know, that might scare you a little bit too. So there's a lot of good tight ends this year, or at least a lot of tight ends that hold a lot of potential and guys that you could take shots on. So I'm kind of just looking the other direction right now when it comes to Mark Andrews. Then at six, Darren Waller. We have a article on the website about Darren Waller specifically. He was an awesome comeback story last year. He showed he's one of the best tight ends in the league. He was deadly over the middle of the field, and he was the go-to guy in the Raiders offense. It was his first year, and he got over 100 targets. I mean, that's sick. That's sick. So there's questions now. Does the addition of Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards hurt Waller? Does it take away targets? Maybe it does. We don't know until we see it. Maybe. Or maybe those additions make it easier for him to dominate because defenses can no longer focus on him. Ruggs will keep the defensive backs lined up farther downfield that can help him be more efficient, Waller be more efficient in the middle of the field and, you know, also get more yards per target because they have a deep threat now in Ruggs. And I know Ruggs is not just a deep threat, but that's one of the things, skills he possesses. And that's why part of the reason he was drafted so highly. So honestly, we're going to find out. We'll find out. But I lean the latter. And I think that the additions of Ruggs and Edwards is going to help Darren Waller more than hurt him. He might not get as many targets, but I think he's going to be more efficient. And he was already pretty efficient last year. So, you know, check out the Darren Waller article if you want. There's a lot of really good stuff in there that Drew wrote about Darren Waller. So I, you know, once again, want you to check that one out. But if not, it's fine. Darren Waller is our tight end six. And then we have a tier break. So, so far, we've only had two tiers, obviously Kelsey and Kittle. And then Ertz, Higby, Andrews, and Waller are that second tier of tight ends. Then I have a tear break and I move over to Evan Ingram at tight end seven. Evan Ingram has always, always been great when he's healthy, but I'm not sure that's going to be the case this year, even if he's at full health. Why? Because if you look at, you know, all the games he's been healthy and he's dominated, he was one of few targets in the offense, you know? So now they have so many people like it was him and Odell, him and Barkley, him and Shepard, like It was never him and a whole bunch of other guys. Now it is. It's a crowded offense. Even though it's not like elite talent that's crowding the offense, there's a lot of people in that offense to get the ball to. There's Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate. Both of those guys are volume receivers. Then you also have Darius Lee and and Saquon Barkley. And those guys are going to combine near, you know, 180, 190 targets. So between... You know, those four guys, you're already looking at like 400 targets total. And how many targets are left to go around? You know, it, it's it's hard for me to see Evan Ingram getting like the 135, 140 targets that, you know, he was kind of always on pace for that made him so good. 
I have him at 103 targets. I, he's obviously still going to be good, in my opinion, if he can stay healthy the whole time, tight end seven. But I don't think he's going to be you know, as good as everyone just automatically assumes he is if he's healthy. I don't think that's a given. Last year, all those guys that we just talked about were never on the field at the same time. So they never all had to eat into each other's you know, target shares. And that's going to happen this year, assuming you know they're not hurt right when the season starts. Then at tight end eight, this is one of the ultra values this year in drafts, Blake Jarwin. Last year, Randall Cobb and Jason Witten, Witten sorry, both of them had 83 targets and both of them are gone. So that's 166 targets. Shift over all of Randall Cobb's targets to CeeDee Lamb, sure. You could even take 30% of Jason Witten's targets and also send that over to Lamb. Now you have Lamb at just above 100 targets. Okay, then the other 70% of Witten's targets of his 83, give it to Blake Jarwin and add that to what Jarwin already had last year, which was 41, and all of a sudden he's at 97 targets. That's easy math. Easy math. You take 70% of their tight end one last year, Witten, add that to Jarwin's production, and now he's at 97 targets if they threw the ball the exact same amount of times. He has a great path to targets. It's Honestly, it's pretty easy. Like we just talked about Ingram. I have Ingram at 103 targets when he's competing with three receivers in Slayton, Shepard, and Tate, and then a receiving running back, Barkley. Okay, so Elliott. Jarwin's competing with, but he's not as good of a receiver. He's not going to see as much receptions as Saquon Barkley. And then Cooper, Lamb, and Gallup are also three really good receivers, just like what we're working with in New York. Obviously, the guys in Dallas are better, but they're also not as much of target hogs. Like Michael Gallup's not the biggest target hog. Um, Amari Cooper, he's not like a 165 target guy. At least he hasn't been recently. And, you know, CeeDee Lamb, he's a rookie. So, He's not going to be like ultra involved right away. So Blake Jarwin has an easy path to targets and he's going to have an easy time being efficient because all those receivers are going to make it very hard for defenses to key in on Jarwin to worry about Jarwin. He's the third or fourth option, sometimes the fifth option that they're worried about, you know, stopping. And so I have him at 97 targets, 72 receptions, 820 yards, five touchdowns. So he's another guy I have kind of a lower touchdown count, but we're going to start getting lower. So it's not that different from the rest of the guys after him. So continuing in the same tier, tight end nine, Greg Olson. I'm I'm not going to like put my foot down on this one because honestly, I know it's completely speculative. speculative. There's a whole bunch of tight ends right now in Seattle. We don't really know what's going on there. But the reason I lean, lean Greg Olson is because they brought him in and they paid him and he's a vet. And it's not like they're bringing him in for mentorship. They don't have any, like, young rookies. I mean, they do have a rookie tight end, but he wasn't, like, somebody that they put capital into or anything that they want to make sure he gets proper veteran leadership and whatnot, anything like that. So they brought in a vet. They paid him. Obviously, they're going to use him. And Greg Olson was still decent enough to be a starting tight end in the league last year. So I think he's probably going to be the starter there. Maybe Will Disley completely derails this this whole concept of Olsen as the number one. But if Olsen locks down the number one spot, Seattle involves their tight ends enough that I think Greg Olsen could actually be really good. So if you're, you know, you take like Blake Jarwin late or Hayden Hurst late or, you know, whomever you take and you want to take a second second guy just with your last pick, like literally your last pick in drafts, you could take a shot at Olsen and you'll find out pretty soon, you know. Two weeks in, you'll know, is Olsen the guy or is Disley the guy? Or are they both sharing? If they're both sharing, you don't want either of them. So Olsen is a guy that I have 
as, you know, a decent late tight end that you could get. And he's my tight end nine. Then at tight end 10, I have Robert Gronkowski. As a Bucks fan, I really, really want to be high on Gronk, but honestly, I cannot see it. I think the Bucks, like, I cannot see him being, like, very, very good. Like, back to, you know, where he was, you know, with Brady and the Patriots. I think the Bucks are going to keep him on a snap count. Think about this. The Bucks, for once, have an expectation that they actually believe in to the utmost degree that they are a playoff team and a Super Bowl contender. They have Brady. What was the biggest problem with the Bucks? Some of you guys are going to say the defense. That's not the biggest problem with the Bucks. It was always the turnovers. Brady is the smartest quarterback to ever play the game. He's not going to be, you know, constantly shooting the Bucks in the foot. The Bucks expect to make the playoffs, and they have three really good tight ends: Gronk, O.J. Howard, and Cameron Brait. I don't think that Gronk is going to be somebody that they try to use all the time. He's probably a guy that they have on a snap count. They're going to use him situationally, maybe in the red zone, you know, where Tom Brady, especially in the beginning of the season where Tom Brady's really comfortable with him. I think he's going to be a really good DFS play in the first few weeks of the season when Gronk is the only person on this team that Tom Brady has established chemistry with already, especially for getting touchdowns, which we know in DFS especially, but also just at the tight end position is position is super important. So Gronk is a guy that I think will be decent. But I don't think he's going to have a chance to be like super great. And I have him at 87 targets. I think I have OJ Howard off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure he's in the 60s. And then Cameron Brait's in like the 30s. But Gronk I have at 87 targets, 56 receptions, just under 800 yards, 5 touchdowns. Then we have Hunter Henry at tight end 11. Double H. Are you worried about Tyrod Taylor? Are you worried about Justin Herbert? One, you should definitely not be worried about Justin Herbert because that boy ain't playing. He ain't playing this year. It's going to be Tyrod Taylor. And should you be worried about Tyrod Taylor? No, you shouldn't be. Because Charles Clay, in the three years that Tyrod was the starter in Buffalo, was on pace for about 90 targets all three years. And Charles Clay is not Hunter Henry, or should I say Hunter Henry is not Charles Clay. Hunter Henry is much better than Charles Clay. Now, I know the Chargers have better options at receiver, so obviously... You know, Charles Clay, he's, like I said, he wasn't, he's not the greatest tight end or whatever, but he didn't have like really good receivers like a Keenan Allen or Mike Williams to compete with for targets. So maybe the target share goes down a little bit, but maybe not because Hunter Henry is really good and much better than Charles Clay. And so I think he's going to get a good target share. And if the touchdowns fall his way, he can actually be really good for fantasy because I have Hunter Henry at my tight end 11. And he has the lowest touchdown projected total in my top 12 out of all the tight ends in my top 12. He only has four in my projection. He could easily get more than four. I think that's pretty close to his floor. But because I don't think the Chargers are going to be passing that many touchdowns, I have them at 22 with Tyrod passing touchdowns. It's kind of hard to give Hunter Henry like six, seven, when you know Keenan's going to get his six like he has like the past three years. And you know Mike Williams is a good touchdown red zone threat. So it's hard to just, you know, give a whole bunch to Henry. That's why I only have him at four, but he definitely has potential to do better. So he's a really good pick at his ADP. Then lastly, we have the second double H. So we had double H Hunter Henry. Now we have double H Hayden Hurst at tight end 12 to round it out. Hayden Hurst is stepping into a prominent role that was left by Austin Hooper. On top of that, the Falcons traded a second rounder for him. So I completely expect him to be involved in a good amount. However, there is definitely some risk because 
in a shortened offseason like this, look, I like him for Dynasty. I think he has really good potential. I think he's probably, you know, better than people think. He was a first-round pick for a reason. And he was like 25 years old as a rookie. 25 years old. They spent a first-round pick on a 25-year-old. So, um, you know, he has to have some type of talent if somebody's doing something like that, putting that kind of draft capital in somebody, especially when they're not even super young. So Hayden Hurst, I expect him to be good. The thing is that he holds risk for redraft because, like, it's just it's going to be hard for him to just step into that role. Like Austin Hooper, it took time. It took time for us to see Austin Hooper develop and finally become fantasy relevant. And he finally did, and then boom, he shipped off to Cleveland. And not shipped off as if he was traded, but, you know, he goes to Cleveland. And now we have Hayden Hurst in there. You have Julio. You have Calvin Ridley. Russell Gage was on pace for more than 100, like, 15 targets last year once he started, you know, once he started getting going. So you have guys there. And you have Todd Gurley there. He's an okay receiving running back. He's not really, I wouldn't even say he's a good receiving running back. He's okay. But it's better than what Devonta Freeman was last year. I would say that. So they have a lot of options Hayden Hurst is a good guy with good potential, but I think he also holds a lot of risk. So he's somebody that I do actually get a lot because for some reason, everyone hypes him up. Everyone talks about him like they love Hayden Hurst, yet his ADP has not really reflected that. You know, he's still in like the double digit rounds. It seems like at least in the drafts I'm doing, he's going in double digit rounds. So if he's going that late, yeah, I'll take him for sure. And then I'll just draft Blake Jarwin later, who I know has a smooth, like smooth path to 90-ish targets, and they're going to be efficient targets. But that rounds out my top 12. Just to go over it one more time. It's Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, tear break. Zach Ertz, Tyler Higby, Mark Andrews, Darren Waller, tear break. Evan Ingram, Blake Jarwin, Greg Olson, tear break. Or no, sorry. Blake Jarwin, Greg Olson, Robert Gronkowski, Hunter Henry, Hayden Hurst, tear break. So we did three tiers, right? The top two elite guys, then the middle guys, that ends with Waller, and then Evan Ingram all the way through Hayden Hurst to round out that last third tier. I'm not going to be doing a, another tight end podcast. Um, you know, I might do like take tight end questions and mix that in with something else that I want to talk about, but I feel like it's not that beneficial for me to be talking, especially with, as we get this close to the season, for me to be talking about tight ends 13 to 24. You know, they've been talked about. You have TJ Hawkinson, huge upside. Noah Fant, huge upside. Uh, Johnu Smith, good upside. Who else is there? You know, there's all those guys that are later. Some people are looking at Irv Smith. Maybe, you know, he jumps as like the second most targeted guy in that offense with Diggs gone and Justin Jefferson just being a rookie. Maybe um, you like Gesicki. Like there's a whole bunch of guys back there that we, we've we all heard their names. Um, so I, I'm not going to focus on those guys too much. So I'm going to kind of just move past tight ends now. We're going to find... You know, try and find some fun, a little bit different topics. I know I'm still going to be trying to get you guys an auction mock draft. I'm just really, I want it to be good. So I'm trying to find a perfect way to structure it in a way that it would be beneficial, the most beneficial to you guys. And with that said, if you like the podcast, rate and review it, help your boy out. Remember to follow me on Twitter at Brandon Gabor if you're not already. Deep Dive Fantasy Football is the username on Instagram. I know most of you guys are from Twitter. Most of my listeners come from Twitter for my analytics. Um, if you are also on Instagram, go ahead and follow my Instagram. I'm actually at over 10,000 followers on Instagram. Um, so 
you know, if you want to help me bolster that number even more, that's awesome. And follow my writers, you know, Drew and Zach, they do a great job. They honestly, they surprised me because the first articles that they did, you know, especially because like, I don't know if you guys can tell from my voice and whatnot, but I'm a young guy. I'm only 21. Drew, I believe he said he was, you know, like 23 and Zach is 20, 20 or 21. So we have a really young group of guys here and I love it because I think we have a lot of potential to just grow and make each other better and just continue to get better and better because most of the guys in the industry are a little bit older. And so if you guys want to follow them on Twitter, oh yeah, and the whole point of me saying that was because they really surprised me. Their first articles that they sent me um, when you know I, I reached out and said I was looking for some guys to start writing because I'm trying to focus on the podcast and I haven't been able to pump out as much articles as I wanted. You know, they reached out and they really surprised me. They have, they're really good with their research. They, I've even found some, some cool stats that they find out or things that I didn't even look at before. And I started incorporating a little bit more into my research. So check them out. D battery FF and it's Zach FF. Those are the um, Twitter ads and you know, Go ahead and follow them. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for your support. Peace.